Y'all doing all right? Yeah. Excited for this. Well, I guess it'll rain later. I'm over this rain. So, um, well, good morning again. And uh, we're in this series that we've called, uh, that we've called GOAT, right? G-O-A-T, which, of course, that's how you spell GOAT. But, um, but that, that's the idea that Jesus is really the greatest of all time. He is the greatest of all time, right? Um, and so, so the first week that we, that we started talking about this, this first week we said that he is, the reason that he's the goat is because he is the exact imprint of God, right? He is the exact imprint of God. Or you can say it like this, is that Jesus is the goat because he is God. And in the second week we said that since he is God, since he is the goat, the original goat, the original G, all right? Since he is the goat, the greatest of all time, he, he, we needed a kinsman redeemer. And what we said was the kinsman redeemer, what that means is, is that for, for someone to rescue, rescue you out of debt, they had, they had to become like you, to become akin to you, right? So it's kind of like this. If, if I owed a debt, let's say I went, well, I would say this because I wouldn't go buy shoes. Um, let's say Brittany would, goes and she, she spends all of our money on buying a couple of new brand pair of shoes, and we were like, hey, I was like, hey, babe, listen, we needed that for rent money, right? And she would be like, well, I'm sorry, you better find it some other way. What I could do is call Justin and say, Justin, can you step in and pay this debt for me? Because he's akin to me. So what Jesus did was he became a kinsman. I'm going to move this over a little because I'm afraid I'm going to hit it eventually. He's a, he's, he became a kinsman or came, became like us. That's why um, in, in, in the birth story of Jesus, he's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay? And so he became like us. He bore our, bore our suffering. He bore our this, and he paid a debt that only a kinsman redeemer could. Right? And then last week, we said that Jesus is the goat because he finished the work of grace. He finished the work of grace. And what this means is, if you remember, he related it to the story. Um, the writer of Hebrews related it to the story of the children wandering in the wilderness. Right? Hey, Kevin, do me real, Justin, do me a real favor. Turn the lights on back that way, on that side. It's way too dark in here for right now. Okay, he, he there we go. I can see all y'all's faces. I don't know if you're liking this or not. So he, he finished what was, he related to the story of, of when the children of Israel were set free from Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, when in reality it should have just took two weeks, right? Because Moses couldn't finish the work of, of, of leading the people into rest, all right? And what we're going to look at, the story we're going to look at today, um, you know, because after Moses became this guy named Joshua, and Joshua, even though they went into the, to the city, they, they still didn't receive rest because they didn't fully obey God. Okay? So what here, but here's the thing that you need to know about rest. Okay, let me, think, let me go back a little bit because I'm ahead of myself. To the way, today we are going to look at chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Okay? And, the book, and, and if you remember from last week, uh, the ending of it talked about entering into God's rest. And chapter 4 begins with talking about God's rest. And here's the thing that you need to know about rest. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down, okay? The rest that it talks about here, the rest is salvation found in Christ. This rest is salvation that is found in Christ, okay? So from here on forward, when we, when we talk about rest in the book of Hebrews, it's talking about 
salvation found in Christ. All right? So let's look, let's look at the fourth chapter of Hebrews and see what our friend wrote to us. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So here we go talking about entering God's rest in chapter 3 to right into chapter 4, him saying God's promise for salvation, God's promise for rest, it still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you may, might fall to exp- fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared, this rest, has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did, did them no good. Remember, he's, talking, he's, he's looking back at a story of when they were in the wilderness. Because they had this promise of a land, this promise of what's called the promised land, on the, just on the other side of the river, really. And he's, this is what he's talking about. For the good news that, that God prepared this rest or this promised land has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. And some manuscripts end that with, some translations end that with, they didn't combine what they heard with faith. Okay? So the writer is adamant in speaking to these people. Remember, they're Jewish people who are being persecuted for following Christ now, and they're talking about wanting to go back, and then he's talking about don't harden your heart, don't do this, okay? But what he's wanting them to know is that what you, the, your first love, the gospel of Jesus that you heard that saved you, that redeemed you, that, that, and if you take notes, you can write this down, that, it, that promise, God's promise of entering rest still stands. Like even though you feel like you want to turn and go back, this rest is still here for you to have. This rest is still here for you to have. God's promise of entering rest still stands. And this made me think of this idea that no matter how you walked up in here this morning, no matter how you feel about your, your past or what you've done in your past or what even what you did this morning, God's promise for rest and salvation still stands for you, no matter what it is. See, I had this friend who was adamant that God could never save him because um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to call him a friend. He, and I honor his service that he did in Afghanistan, but he came back telling me horror stories of things that he had to do to people when he was in Afghanistan. Like, I'm telling you, horrible things. I'm talking like bad things. Like things that you couldn't even imagine that they would have to do, that he was commanded to do to, to people. Like inhumane things. And he came back believing that God would, could never save him from, the, from what he did over there. He, and he's a good friend. And I, I'm here to say that he still believes that. Okay? And I'm, but I'm going to tell you like I tell him every time I, every time I get a chance to speak with him. Is that the promise still stands. Like how many of your sins were future sins when Christ went to the cross? All of them. Every last one of them, which means he knew how screwed up I would be and how screwed up you would be, and he still chose to make a way. He still chose to make this promise stand. Still chose to do it. So what the question becomes, what is this rest from? And ultimately, it is sin, our sinful nature. But, but so sin, it's sin ultimately, so no more self-effort in trying to gain salvation, which what I'm meaning is you can't do anything about your plight. That's why we needed someone. That's why we needed someone with the, to fulfill this promise that Jesus fulfilled, because we couldn't do it, because no matter how much good you do, it still looks dirty in the presence of God. 
still looks sturdy in the presence of God. You're no more trying to please God with feeble, fleshy works because we are, because right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are completely forgiven and completely loved. But practically, this, there's rest or salvation from worries and the hassles of life and being bound by them. Rest from legalistic works. Rest from running from thing to thing, person to person for pleasure. Because what you're looking for in that person or that thing can only be fulfilled by the God of heaven. He, this rest sets us free from fear. Like we, we don't have anything to fear. Like when we stand in his love, when we stand in his presence, it, it, it capillates it, it fear. Like we have nothing to fear because fear has been defeated. God's rest found in Jesus. What, is it, what does it say? That, what, that's what it saves us from, but what does it save us to? It, it saves us to be established, rooted, grounded, unmovable. In him, we can truly rest on him because he is the only thing secure in this world. Like how many opinions get changed every day? You watch the news? One minute you have a politician saying this, and then ten minutes later they're saying the total opposite. Can't put our hope in that. That's wishy-washy, no matter who your candidate is. Or what, what, about, what about even even me as a parent? Because one minute I could say, yeah, do whatever you want. The next minute go, what are you thinking? Why are you doing that? You just said do whatever you want. We're, our, we're, we're not, people are not secure, so why are you putting your hope in something that can never really fulfill you? Listen, Brittany will never fulfill me. She will never fulfill me. I'll tell that to her face. Right before I die. <laughs> but she'll never fulfill me. Listen, my kids, I love my kids. They mean the world to me, but guess what? I'll never be truly satisfied. Like, you know how much of a struggle it was this week trying to get them to soccer camp every week? It's, yeah. But still, like, they'll, they'll, no matter, even though I'll be super proud of them, whatever they do in the future, I don't care what it is, flipping burgers, yeah, if you flip burgers when you at McDonald's, when you, when you get, be an adult, you be the best burger flipper and I'll be so proud of you. Because listen, I can't put my hope in what my kids do, what my wife does, what my parents do, what the rest of my family does, because listen, they're going to fail me. They're going to fail me. But the only thing that we can be secure is is in a God who never changes. That's why the Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's never going to change because he's secure we are secure. We're unmovable in him. We're established. We're rooted. But the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this. For only we who believe can enter this rest. So what's the qualifications to rest for salvation? It's just to believe. And not in that belief. Like the English language, I'm going to be honest with you, sucks sometimes. Okay, it sucks because that word believe there doesn't mean because even Satan and his demons believe. What that belief means is that we're going to, every ounce of, that we have, we're going to turn to him. Every ounce that we have, we're going to turn to him. Every fiber of our being is going to 
radiate Jesus. Like every ask, every decision that we make, every choice that we make. But we who believe, who, who follow, who repent, only those can enter his rest, enter this salvation. As for others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. Because here's the deal. Right now you're in a season of love and grace. But one day wrath is coming. And when people say God's not an angry God, I mean, I mean, it's not anger like we picture it, but there is wrath coming. And I know it's not like, hey, we came to church today to be lifted up. Here you go. Because where there is love, there has to be a little bit of wrath. Like, sometimes you have to whoop your kids, but you love them. But one, this is what it says. As for the others who don't believe, who don't accept, because if, you, if you're ultimately not accepting this rest and you're accepting the other, God said, in my anger I took a oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. We know, we, we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions that the seventh day, on the seventh day, God rested from his work. God rested from his work. So up to this point, this is the point for us in this, is that God established from the beginning a time of rest. Why? Why did he, from the beginning, say, on the seventh day I'm going to rest and I need you to rest? It's because there's something about rest that's really important. That's why the doctors say get plenty of sleep, but it goes way far beyond this than just sleeping or chillaxing, relaxing all cool, shooting some b-ball. Sorry. It goes far beyond, far beyond just relaxing. Because remember what we said, rest, when it talks about it here in Hebrew, it's talking about salvation. Like there's something to be found. But what happens is we as the church, and what these people have done, they've made this sabbatical law of rest into something that it never was meant to be. Like I remember growing up, my grandmother would talk about, you ain't supposed to do nothing on Sundays because that's Sabbath and you're supposed to rest. And, but really what rest doesn't mean inactivity. Because for us as believers, what we know now is rest, when it, when it resembles salvation, it, re, it means reflection. Like we, as people who are already have entered this rest, it's reflection for us of what God has really done for us in our lives, what he saved us from and what he saved us to. But they made it a religious law of restriction when God intended for, for rest to be freeing. That's why when we talk about salvation, we talk about freedom. They thought man was made for the Sabbath or for rest. And the law morphed the Sabbath into a burden, adding restrictions beyond what God's law said. But Jesus made it really clear. In the Gospel of Mark, our friend Mark wrote to us, he says this, Then Jesus said to them, this is Jesus' words, The Sabbath was, was made to meet the needs of the people, and not the people meet the requirements of the Sabbath. What this means is, salvation was made for you. It was made for you. Not the other way around. Because listen, God doesn't need us. It wasn't that he was lonely up in heaven and created us because he needed some pawns in his story. No. 
He created us out of love, and we need him to survive. That's all. We have to enter this rest because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. But here's what you need to know. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. When we enter, when we enter rest, we reflect on Jesus because he is the rest. Like Jesus is the salvation. Jesus is the rest. It's time for us as believers to look toward what God has done for us, not just in saving us from, from life eternally, eternally separated from him, but to like the daily stuff, like the simple stuff. Like my daughter giving me a kiss this, this morning. Or like yesterday when I, um, when I acted like I was going to cut this sore off of me with a knife and she runs up to me screaming, hollering, no, crying. Like to experience that real, like don't ever do that. Like don't ever traumatize your kids like I do, okay? It's not good. But to know like my daughter loves me, that is a picture of the Father, of Jesus. Like to thank him, to reflect on like I have two beautiful kids. They drive me crazy sometimes, but they're good. I have a beautiful wife. She is smoking hot. All right? I could, the, the things that I can thank God for to reflect on in this rest that I have now, the friends and family that I have around me or that I got that job or that I got that promotion or, yeah, thank you, God, for saving me from spending eternity in hell. Thank you for all that. It's time for us to our rest, our sabbatical. That's, what it, that's why we meet on Sunday mornings to talk about and reflect about what God has done not only throughout our past but even this past month, this past week. That's why I love hearing stories of things happening because when we, when we enter rest, when we enter sabbatical, when we enter salvation, it's a time of reflection of what Jesus has done. Because listen, like I, I've said this before, they may, they may not be able to, they, they, may refute the, they may refute the Bible. They can, they can say whatever they want about the Bible. It's okay, that's just Jesus calling her. Okay? It's all good. Like people, people will oftentimes try to argue if the Bible is real or not, but guess what they can't change is your reflection or your story. They can't change it. Like, you know what's true about your life and how God has changed your life, right? Like, how can they, re- like, if they're really close to you, they'll know. Like, some of my friends in high school, they'll tell you, I was a hoe for show. Okay? I was a hoe for show. Like, that dude will never be faithful to one woman. You know, I am 12 years later, sucker. Tell me God can't do something. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, like, I couldn't have done that on my own. You talk about somebody who wants to beat addiction, they can't do that on their own. If you talk to them 12 years later about how they beat addiction, like, like there's, whatever the story is, they can't refute that story. They can talk, try to talk about the Bible all they want to. They can try to talk about how Jesus wasn't real all they want to. Well, I'm going to tell you something. He's real to me because he changed my life for the good. Like, who would have thought this guy with tattoos and holes in his ears would be standing on a stage talking about Jesus, honestly, with what I've done in my life. I was a thief. Stole from the place I worked at. Went and turned myself in, paid restitution. Who would have thought that dude would be standing on a stage talking about Jesus? Honestly. I won't keep going. Verse 5, but in the other... But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. Who to enter? People. What people? 
whoever. What about my scumbag mother-in-law? Yeah, she can enter this rest too. What about that, that drug addict behind the dumpster down the road on Chapman Highway? Yep. He's a people. This rest is like, I'm a, I read something this week and it like, it rocked me to my core. It rocked me to my core. There's this article, they did a survey about the top 100 godless cities in America. Okay? And what they, as you read the article, you find out what they mean is people who are atheist or agnostic who don't believe there is anything. We just die and go on. Guess what city was in the top 100? Knoxville. So what are we doing as a church? I'm not talking about shift church. I'm talking about church. Why are we pushing people away? Because right there it says God's rest, God's salvation is there for all people, people to enter in. So why ain't we, why ain't we letting them enter? Why, what are we doing? What walls do we need to tear down as a church body in Knoxville to let people hear this? That rocked me to my core. The city that I love, the city that I grew up in, made the top 100 godless cities in the world? Are you kidding me? And that's not even, that wasn't even from a Christian organization that put that record, that the stuff out there. It's crazy to me. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter, because sometimes I wonder if even the church has failed to enter this rest, really. Honestly. Because they disobeyed God. So God said another, or seven. So God said another what? Time. Remember, what is he talking about here? He's making them look back at the children wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But since they couldn't enter rest then, he set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. That time is today. Which means today could be your salvation if you don't believe in here. You have, a, you have a God who came from heaven, became our kinsman redeemer, became like us. And the, remember what we read? He said, he said he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because he would become our kinsman redeemer and pay the debt that we couldn't pay on the cross. God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced through David much later in, in, in the words already quoted, Today you hear the voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart this morning. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, we both can harden our hearts sometimes. You've got to trust. Open your heart because it says, because remember we talked about how it went from Moses. Moses couldn't enter him. So when Moses died, Joshua took over. Verse 8. Now if Joshua had succeeded, which means he, what, didn't succeed in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So here's what the Hebrews, the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews is doing. Saying, remember, right, they, Moses couldn't get on men, and then there was Joshua, because King David, the one they referred to as if David, David wouldn't have spoke this, said, said like another day of rest. There's still a day of rest to come. And verse nine says, so there is a special rest still waiting for the people. Of God. And sometimes the Bible does this parallel thing here. 
Okay? Does this parallel? Because this verse is talking about two different events. And one of the events hasn't happened yet. Verse 9 is talking about the day that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for our, for our sin. Now we can enter this rest, but now as believers, we have this other day of rest that's coming. When he splits the skies wide open and he calls his children home. Because that, that will be the day when, when, you know, when we said that, the re- that God's promise of entering rest or salvation still stands. After that day, there's no grace and there's no mercy. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. Verse 10. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors. Because we know as believers, there's, like, we don't have to work for this anymore. Like it should lead to good works, our salvation, but our, our salvation is not based on our works, just as God did after creating the world. Verse 11, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Go on, change the verse again. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It expresses our innermost thoughts and desires. All that can be really scary. Verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one whom we are accountable so who is, who is the Word of God? It's Jesus. John 1.1, 1, 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among man. So the Word is, is Jesus. So here, here's, here's, um, here he is saying this rest, this salvation is in Jesus. Like it, it, this rest is only found in Jesus because he's the only one that can see him and the Father are the only ones that can see our innermost being and know what we need, exactly what we need. Every, our heart's desires, like the motives of our heart, is laid naked before the Father. And like I said, that can be a little bit scary, couldn't it? Like we can be out here, we can be helping somebody on the side of the street, but he knows the motive behind that. He knows my motive of standing on a stage right now. And if it's not pure, he knows that. Like, that's scary to think about. But you have to think. Our, our salvation, our rest is only found in Jesus. Now, here's what's important about our idea of Jesus being the goat for us this morning. Okay? All these verses up to this point, everything in chapter 4 up to this point, is leading to the last three verses of Hebrews. So keep in mind what he, what, he, what he, Jesus, gives us rest from and rest to. In verse 14 he says, So then, since we have a great high priest, which means we, like, we don't have an in-between guy. We, we don't have to go to a, you don't have to come to me and say, Hey, will you speak to God on my behalf? No. He is, Jesus is our high priest. Okay, we can go directly to him. Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne 
of our, of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So what does this chapter tell why does this chapter tell us that he's the how does it tell us that he's the greatest of all time, that he is the goat? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus is the goat because he understands our needs and struggles and, and supplies us with grace and mercy. You're like, Derek, what does that even mean? That's a whole that's a whole sentence. That's a whole paragraph. Okay? So let's do a little you know how the writer of Hebrews makes people look back? I'm gonna make you look back. Before Jesus started his ministry, what did he do? He entered the wilderness and was tempted for days and days and days. Tempted with the same stuff that me and you are tempted with today. With fame and power. With all, I mean, everything you think of. He was tempted that way. But here's the thing about Jesus is that he never fell into that temptation. Never. The writer is telling, telling us and these people that because Jesus was tempted like we were when he was tempted in the wilderness, he can empathize with us and he can sorrow with us because he's experienced pain and loss and heartache. Yet he did not, did not sin or fail. So, so the question becomes, what does this tell us? Why is this important? Number one is this, is that he, like a great physician... Because that's what the Bible says he is also. He can diagnose our every need. He can diagnose our every need. Because he faced what we did. He, we, like, we know, he knows what's wrong with us. Like, since he faced, he knows exactly what we need. And we should get what he has because he didn't fail. You can say, well, Derek, he was God, but he was also flesh. And this brings a whole new meaning to Romans 8.26 when it says that, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. The reason we can, we can, we can do that, he does that now is because Jesus has experienced what we have experienced, the pain, the loss, the heartache. We, he can diagnose our every need, and two, he can point us to a solution. Like, he's the only one that can point us to a solution. Because we are laid bare in his sight. He, he knows exactly what we need to get out of our mess, and the only thing that we have to do is tap into that. The only thing we have to do is tap into that. See, so many times we try to find our own solution to our issues in life, and find our own, our own way in, in reality until, until we open up and lay it bare before God because he already sees it. Until we're honest with God about where we are in life, we're never going to be healed. That's why I've, I've said it a couple times lately, but if you conceal it, he can't heal it. If you try to hide it, uh, it, it, it will never be healed. And since... Oh, that, that's why I want to go back and read Hebrews 4, 16, when it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his what? Mercy. 
and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. So let us boldly, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it the most. Here's what it tells us. You're taking notes. We can approach him with boldness because he can sympathize and he can heal. He can sympathize and he can heal. And without condemnation because even though John 3.16 says, for, all, for God so loved the world that he came to, came to the earth. You know that verse? John 3.17 says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him all may come to know the Father. So he's not here to condemn you. He's not up there with Zeus-like with a lightning bolt to zap you, zap you down. But he's up there. He, he extends to you and he extends to me grace and mercy because he sympathizes with where we are. He knows how you're being tempted and what you're facing in life. He knows the pain that you feel with that loss of that person you love. That loss of that friendship with that with that financial ruin that happened, with that, whatever the case may be. He can sympathize and he can heal without condemnation. Because here's why. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And all that means is there's no one in here better than the other person. There's no one in here sitting next to you that's any better or sitting behind you that's any better than you or nor you or them. It's one thing I hate, it, I hate about churches sometimes is there's this hierarchy. That's why I'm just a normal dude. I'm there. Like when I've done funerals and I've seen the REV in front of my name, it freaks me out. Reverend Derek McCarter doing this funeral. I'm like, no, I'm just Derek. ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all approach him the same way with great need because we all need some Jesus, y'all. We can stand confidently in his love because no matter how you came in here, we're all on equal ground. You know what that equal ground is? The equal ground is that we're all loved by the maker of the world. The equal ground is that he chose you before the foundations of this world to be his. Like before he ever created this world and rested on that seventh day, you were a thought in his mind. It's crazy to think about, isn't it? So the question becomes, are you going to harden your heart or are you going to step into this? That's your choice. But the promise of God still stands. The promise of rest still stands to today. And if he doesn't come back by tomorrow, guess what? Tomorrow the God, God, God's promise of rest still stands. So the choice is yours. You with me? Let's pray. The God, I want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for being the goat and the fact that you can sympathize and you can rest. And we can rest in you. God, just to think that you knew my name. Before the foundation, you chose me for the foundations of this world. 
amazes me. So as we sing our way out of here, as we may we just reflect on how great your name. May we praise your name this morning. May we may we lift up a song. May we sing at the top of our lungs like the breakthrough that we need is at the end of this song. May may we praise you like that. Because some of us we just need to be set free, and so we're we're softening our hearts and opening up to what you have to say. And I pray this in your name.